We continue now to work our way through Mark's gospel, and we come to chapter 4, and we will be reading this morning verses 21 through 34. Mark chapter 4, 21 through 34. Let me point out to you that uh, you might have um, not been here last week. There was the parable of the sower, and then we have three small parables that we will look at today. In Mark's gospel, he's writing for Romans, probably during a time of the church's persecution, fast-moving Romans, and he writes a fast-moving gospel. And so the use of parables is sparse, they're brief, but then he moves from this, beginning in the next chapter, with five, with four miracles. And those miracles begin with a passage that I dearly love to preach and will preach next week. Lord willing, and that is Jesus when he calms the sea. I love preaching that passage, and some of you will be on the missions trip, and I'm going to ask you when you return to catch it up and to listen, please, so that you are with us and you benefit from our examination of that passage. So when we go through Mark's gospel, we find a lot of miracle and a lot of movement and a lot of action. Well, with that in mind, let's bow before the Lord before we read. Heavenly Father, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable God, give to us deep within our souls the desire to worship, to reverence thy name, to have the high and biblical view of thy character and attributes that we should And we are so thankful that this is the very Word of God that we now read and expound. May we reverence the Word, for Thou hast elevated this Word even above Thy name, one of the Psalms tells us, and we ask that this Word will fill our minds and fill our hearts. And in this day of the greatest evil, perhaps in our own country, we pray that we would not be tempted to follow the ways of the world, but that we would be followers of the Lamb who was slain. Grant us light. We read of light in one of these parables. Illumine the page of Scripture so that we may see Christ here. Illumine our hearts that we may receive him by faith. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Please take your copy of God's Word and stand, Mark chapter 4, beginning with verse 21 through verse 34. This is the Word of God. And he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. 
He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe at once, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. People of God, it is helpful if we remember that though you and I have heard these parables or perhaps read them many, many times, probably have heard many sermons on the parables of Jesus, including the ones that are here recorded as they are in Mark. It's helpful for us to remember that those who heard Jesus speak these parables heard these parables for the very first time. And those who did not have the blessed work of the Holy Spirit in their hearts would reject what they heard, they would pay little attention to it, and they would reject the one who spoke. That's the purpose of veiling that we saw in the parable of the sower last week, which is the paradigmatic parable, helping us as a key to understand all the parables. However, the Lord in his parables also reveals himself to those who believe, and this is very important. Can God be known? Can you know God? And the answer to that question is, We can only know the infinite, eternal, unchangeable God if he chooses to reveal himself to us. And that is precisely what is happening here. Here we have God personally revealing the infinite personal God. God in the flesh, the second person of the Trinity, teaching, preaching, speaking these parables, revealing the Father. He is himself, God incarnate, preaching and teaching these parables. God's self-revelation and our response are central themes in the kingdom parables. And here we have these three brief parables, each about the king and the kingdom. What do they reveal about God and man? How do they help us as Christians to live our Christian lives tomorrow? In each of these parables, please note that there is a stress upon the power of the word of God. Now, we want to look at these three parables, and I want to bring this morning four principles from these three parables. The first principle is this, what is hidden will be revealed. This takes the first parable, especially verses 21 through verse 23, and he speaks of the lamp that lights. Now, there are some commentators and interpreters of the passage that think he's referencing the menorah in the tabernacle or temple. I don't think so. The word luknos is usually the common everyday word for the ordinary lamp, the little clay oil lamp 
that would be placed in every home in that day. And Jesus is making use of that which is familiar to them in this parable. It would be placed or hung on a lampstand, and no right-minded person carries a lamp into a house in order to hide it. The purpose is to put it high, to put it on a stand so that it illumines the room. Lamps are lighted so that people can see. But what is the identity of the lamp that we find here? Now, in the Greek New Testament, there's a definite article before the word lamp. Though it may be translated a lamp, it's actually the lamp. It seems that Jesus is referencing a specific lamp. And in addition to that, the verb that he uses is the verb for come. So it's here in our excellent translation, the ESV, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand for nothing is hidden except that it be made manifest. But it is the lamp and the verb is best translated, come. Now, you would ordinarily not say that a lamp comes. You would say that a lamp is brought. It could be translated that way, but not likely. The verb is the common verb for the word come. So Jesus is not referring to an ordinary lamp, though he references the ordinary lamp is in the, in the house. The lamp to whom he is referring is himself. He's speaking of the purpose of his coming that he is the lamp that has come into the world. It's as if Jesus said, for those who have ears to hear and eyes to see, look, the lamp is right in front of you. I, the lamp, have come. And I have come with a purpose to illumine your dark hearts. Nor can we separate Christ the light from the light of his word. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. The parable then works out the revealing and concealing the secretive language that we have seen already in Mark's gospel. And his point is that something is hidden that will be made known. And just as no one would kindle a lamp to hide its light, Christ does not come in order to remain obscure. So when does the revealing of this lamp take place to which he refers? Well, there's not one, but there are several answers to that question. And thankfully, we have all of Mark's gospel and all of the Bible and all of the remaining portion of the New Testament to help us to understand the answer to the question. When does the revealing of this light come. That's why he came, that the light might not be hidden, but that it might be revealed. Well, of course, the light will illumine everyone in a certain sense at the end of the age when Jesus comes again at the end of time. Then everyone will acknowledge that he is indeed the light, believer and unbeliever alike. And we have those powerful words of Philippians chapter 2, that when he returns, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But behind that coming event is another event that had yet to take place when he spoke the the parable, but has already taken place, and that is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Perhaps chapter 9, verse 9 actually gives us a clue here, because you remember that during the transfiguration, we've not yet come there, but most of you know the transfiguration, where Jesus 
shines in his glory. And in verse 9, as Peter and James and John and Jesus were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. And so there's a certain sense in which there's something secretive that is still going on until the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So Christ was hidden in his rejection and hidden in his death. The light now shines in his resurrection. That's why we can read in Romans 1.4, who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the great thing in the New Testament and the great thing to me. Is it for you? I cannot get away from this fundamental truth, this magnificent reality that Jesus rose from the dead, that the mystery is totally revealed, that it is no longer hidden, that in his resurrection the light shines, and that this thing was not done in a corner. I'm remembering the words of C.F.D. Mole, who said, the discovery of his absolute aliveness beyond death led to such a confession as Romans 14.9. Christ died and came to life again to establish his lordship over the dead and the living, so that all the lines of God's relation with men and men's with God are found to be meeting. Where do all the lines meet in Christ, in the empty tomb, in the person of Jesus Christ, who has been raised by the power of God from the dead? The kingdom of God is disclosed in the resurrection of Jesus. It is this truth that defines us as Christians and as a church, defining our relationships, defining how we handle trouble, how we wash dishes, how we change diapers, how we run our homes, our businesses. Since Jesus rose from the dead, nothing has been the same and never will be, and that fact brings with it a certain future for believers that determines our very present lives and how we are to live them. And so there is this light that came into the world. There was a hiddenness until after his death on the cross, but now there is the brilliance of the resurrection of Christ. He has been made known. He is manifest as the Son of God who has been raised from the dead. Now, I know from conversations with many of you how our hearts groan when we look at the kingdoms of the world, how our hearts grieve when we see our nation so under sin and so under condemnation and wrath and judgment, though we are praying for mercy. But never forget that you are part of a kingdom that will never end. Never forget that you are part of a kingdom that cannot fail. Never forget that the light has shone in Jesus Christ. Do you by faith in Christ belong to that kingdom? Has the light shone within your hearts? Because you see, there's another way that we see an answer to the question, in what manner, when will the light shine? And it's found by looking at verse 23. If anyone has ears let him hear. 
And it's a solemn call to hear the message of Jesus who is the light. A solemn call to hear and to respond to Jesus by faith, for he is the risen Lord. He's not leaving you enveloped in darkness when he saves you from your sin. He illumines your dark heart that you may see him to be the light that is referenced in this parable. You know, in Calvin's Institutes, in the first book, there's a wonderful illustration, very simple one that he uses. He says, we're walking along and we're looking down. The sun is behind us and we see our shadow and we see things and we think that things are perfectly illumined until we turn around and look directly at the sun, which I don't recommend, mind you, but you look directly at the sun and then you see the contrast between this life that we are living and what true brilliance and light really is. Then he says, what masqueraded earlier as righteousness was pleasing in us will soon grow filthy in its consummate wickedness. What in us seems perfection itself corresponds ill to the purity of God. So think of it. There is Jesus. He says to them in essence, I am that lamp come into the world. And I am come to illumine many who are in darkness And yet many were disregarding the illumination that was shining right before them. And every one of them would be held accountable for rejecting that light. But now, Christ Jesus has been raised from the dead. The light shines more brilliantly than one can imagine. And we have the complete Bible and all of the truth that is revealed regarding Jesus Christ, the light of the world. That being the case... There is greater accountability for those who reject that shining light than even for those who heard Jesus preach and teach and saw his miracles in his earthly ministry. What is hidden will be revealed. So, this leads us to the second principle from these parables, the importance of careful hearing. The importance of careful hearing. Look again at verses 24 and 25. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So this is a warning as well as a blessing. Take heed to what you hear, since there will be an unveiling. Hearing now is important. Since there will be an unveiling of the light in utter clarity, then how you hear now is important. The present hearing is important for eternity to come. And so there is also a blessing here in verse 24. Alfred Plummer puts it this way, the disciple who heeds what he hears is bountifully repaid as a summary of verse 24. And he quotes the venerable Bede. And Bede said, He who loves the word will receive the power to understand what he loves. The point being in verse 24, and he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear with the measure you use. It will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you, as in faith you receive the word. As you love the word of God, the more you receive it in faith, the more you love the Word of God, the more of that Word you'll want, the more it controls your life, and the more it will change you, and the more it will illumine you, the more you do this by faith, the more that Word 
will become more and more and more brilliant and clear and a great guide to our Christian lives. Proverbs 1.5, let the wise man hear and increase in learning. Now, you know, I, I come across people in my conversations from time to time. No one here this morning that I know of. But yes, I love the Bible. I love the Word of God. And I especially love how it talks about the love of Jesus and the love of Christ and the love of God. I really love the way it talks about the love of God. But you know, when it talks about the wrath of God, I'm not so sure about that. I, I'm, I'm, I, I tend to reject that, but I really embrace what it says about the love of God. I, I believe what it says about his love, but not his justice. Well, what right does anyone have to believe what the Bible says about the love of God while rejecting what it says about divine justice? This is to teach limited inspiration. No, no, it's the whole Word of God that we receive, that we embrace, that is the light that we need in our hearts. So here's the challenge. The challenge is to penetrate below the surface of the parable's to understand who Christ is, to understand what these parables mean, and to respond in faith. Because you see, some only heard stories. That's all they heard. Even the disciples sometimes did this, thinking, for example, that the leaven of the Pharisees was baking leaven. Well, Jesus is here saying that those who respond in faith will share in the joy of the kingdom of God so that what you get from the parable depends upon the hearing of faith. And the difference is blessing or absolute and total loss, which is the point of verse 25, for to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Hendrickson says, in matters spiritual, standing still is impossible. When we hear these parables, we are to hear and we are to grow and we are to make progress. But those who think they have something and yet they reject the truth of the gospel and reject Jesus Christ, even what they have will be taken away. Cranfield puts it this way, here in Mark, its meaning seems to be that to the man who hears the word in his heart, an ever-increasing knowledge of the secret of the kingdom will be given. But the man who fails thus to lay hold on the word will one day lose it altogether. Oh, what a tragedy. May that not be anyone here. And what is true of the parables is true of God's word as a whole. It's important how you hear. But did you notice in verse 24 that it says that it's important what you hear? He said to them, pay attention to what you hear. Yes, it is important how you hear, but it is important what you hear. The point is, beware of hearing other voices as authoritative rather than other than the voice of the authoritative Christ. That's the contrast. That's the antithesis. The voice of Christ, the voice of of the world system that is contrary to Christ. Now, if eternity depends upon it, I want to know what right hearing is, don't you? 
And obviously, it's being captivated by the gracious words of Jesus, by his voice, eager to listen to his pardoning voice, allowing nothing to distract, false teaching, false idols that can grip our hearts. So I say, oh Lord, grant us the hearing of faith. And we are to be careful how, but also what we hear. We are to be careful how and to what and to whom we listen. I want to ask the young people of our congregation, in all the depths of seriousness that I can muster, what are the formative influences of your heart and your life? To whom are you listening? To what are you listening? How do you listening? What are the formative influences that you are allowing into your heart and into your life? Are you here with your parents and yet you turn it off? Do you read your Bible because they ask you to, but it means nothing to you? Do you prefer to hear the views of the world that might be found on media? What are the influences that are forming your life. But ultimately, the kingdom does not depend upon men at all, and that leads us to the third principle we want to find in this passage, and it is this. The kingdom of God has its own vitality. The kingdom has its own vitality. And that takes us to this parable of the growing seed, verses 26 and 27. The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. And so the time between planting and harvest is not insignificant. It may be imperceptible to us, but something is happening. And the mystery is that the seed germinates and sprouts, but the farmer knows not how. It's not human. The word that's used here is the word automatos, from which you can hear we derive our term automatic. It's automatic. It's by itself or something that happens without a visible cause. So how is this a characteristic of the kingdom of God and what do I need to learn from it? Well, God's kingdom has its own vitality. The message has its own authority. Human insight cannot fathom the process how God is working. It cannot perceive what God is doing. It is, as someone has said, the wise disciple will wait in confidence for God's work to be done in God's way. So when nothing is happening in your spiritual life, you're being faithful to hear the word. Pastor McNeil said last Sunday night, you are growing. It's not perceptible to me, but you are. The Lord really is at work. When churches go through dry spells and difficult times, and yet they're being faithful and they're obeying Christ and seeking Him, God is at work. And essentially, this is the same truth that we find in that passage in Isaiah. 
chapter 55, when he speaks of the word of God, and he says, For as the rain and snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God will accomplish his sovereign purpose through that seed put in the ground, and it comes up. We do not know how, but God does. Now, this is not a call for us to be inactive. That's not the point at all, but it is a call to trust in God's superintendence of his own work. And moreover, we do not have to help the kingdom along by methods that are contrary to what he has ordained for his kingdom. Evangelism committees don't have to panic and think things up in order to make things more exciting, or the church must not use hype or worldly techniques or tricks to get people in the door and manipulate people. No, no. God's work in God's way. Word, sacrament, worship, Prayer, mutual care of one another, and telling out the gospel is what he has ordained. So, Covenant Presbyterian Church, keep doing what you are doing. Because the seed will sprout. It will just come up because God is in control of his kingdom. Let me give you an illustration of this, however, that can be very damaging to the church. Someone was sharing with me just this past week, how a denomination, if I named the denomination, you would know it, a very conservative denomination, recently has changed its approach and has given up some biblical biblical mandates, biblical viewpoints, in order to take certain opportunities for evangelism that were before them. And the only way that they could take those opportunities for evangelism was to was to get rid of a biblical requirement, and they did so. Not everyone in the denomination agrees with it, but the denomination as a whole did that. And behind it then is this desire to do something good, evangelize the lost, giving up a biblical stance that was getting in the way of their opportunities. Well, of course, If we must compromise the Word of God in order to take an opportunity, that opportunity must not have been sent to us by the Lord. But it has a different source. And this denomination at this point has forgotten that the seed grows all by itself. They must not think that God can do it. And so they must step in and they must do it themselves. And the fruit in the long run will not be good. If not repented of, it will lead to more and more compromise and decline. And yet we're all tempted. Every denomination has those temptations that must be resisted with a Bible in hand. We are all tempted to those things in our lives. God, you're not doing it. I'm going to step in and do it myself and do these things in ways that are often unbiblical and wrong. But you see, the seed, it just sprouts up and grows all by itself, 
And in the process, God is bringing the harvest to its end point. And so we read in verse 29, in verse 28, the earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. A possible reference to Joel 3.13, swing the circle, the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. And so when it is evident that God is working, we thank him. When he, it's not evident to us, he's still working. He's still accomplishing his purpose. And we can be confident that he is bringing it all to the end of the age when he will swing the sickle and he will bring his rich harvest unto himself. Sometimes the sickle in Scripture references the judgment. Here I'm convinced that what he's referencing here is bringing to harvest that magnificent number of all of the people of God that have been saved through the ages unto himself. In other words, we learn from this short little parable that we walk by faith and not by sight. And yet what we want to do is walk by sight. The time will come, as we sometimes sing, when the faith shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll. But for now, we walk by faith and not by sight. You can trust God. He really is working. He's sovereign. And in His providence, He has it all under control. Even the things that seem to us to be chaotic, and from a human sinful perspective are, He has His sovereign will and His sovereign purpose of bringing his people to himself and bringing others to judgment. Now, that's a powerful word about the powerful word of God. And we have one other principle that relates to that in this section of three small parables. And this is the fourth thing. The fourth principle is, don't underestimate the power of the message of the kingdom. And we find it in verses 30 through 32. And he said, what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when, when sown on the ground is the smallest of all seeds on the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can nest in its shade. So he, he references a mustard seed. This is tiny, minuscule. You put it in the ground. And it's just a totally unimpressive thing. And then it comes up. It's really a weed, you know. But then it grows into this magnificent tree. Old Testament kingdoms were sometimes compared to these Uh, these trees. We have it in Ezekiel. We have it in Daniel. Do you remember Nebuchadnezzar's dream? I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong and its top reached to heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches and all the flesh fed from it. Obvious reference to it here in this little parable to what I just read from Daniel chapter 4. So you see, the way is hard now. 
and the seed is small. But the light shines, and the seed grows all by itself, and it grows into something magnificent that would never have been imagined from its small beginning. Cranfield again. When at last Jesus comes in glory, who is himself the kingdom, he's the embodiment of the kingdom, when he comes in glory, he will be not only the judge of all men, but also the one under whose shadow all who have truly trusted in him will find shelter. Yes, and you will find shelter in that kingdom, under that tree, under his sovereign love and care and protection until eternity becomes eternity becomes eternity becomes eternity and never ends. You, what a day it will be when Jesus comes again and we begin to see how magnificent has been the work that Jesus shining light, the seed growing all by itself, the tree, the kingdom, growing into something wonderful and magnificent. What a day it will be when we see the fulfillment of all that we find here in these three little parables. You will never before have seen such an encompassing tree as the coming fulfilled kingdom of God. And it's very important in the world in which we live that Christians remember and understand and live in the reality of the fact that each of us is part of something bigger than ourselves. And that something is the kingdom of God. Just be faithful. Just be patient. You will see. That preacher was right. Yes, because this is what God's Word says. So in each of these parables, we have the theme of the powerful and victorious Word of God. I want to return in closing, just for a moment, to Jesus in this parable, the first parable, as the light. Jesus himself is the light. How does the light demonstrate to us the power of God's Word? Well, Jesus himself is that light. He's the revelation of God, God himself in the flesh, and it is by his light, the day spring of, of God that has come. It is by his light that we see light, and without him we remain in darkness. The Bible teaches us that the entire world lies in darkness. This is original sin. Every person by nature is in darkness, in need of this light. But of the believer, it says, Ephesians 5.8, For ye were sometime darkness, but ye are light in the Lord. So how shall I preach in light of these truths and realities? The world lies in darkness. There's original sin how shall I preach in light of these things, the need of light? Shall I say, by nature you are darkness, 
But if you just let him, he'll enlighten you. Shall I preach that way? If I did, I hope elders would remove me from the pulpit. How could that be? The darkness has nothing to do with the light. Lost sinners have no desire to be enlightened. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil, said Jesus in John 3. And what greater evidence of the total depravity of man can there be than that Jesus the light shone then and shines now and all men not loving him? No, I shall not preach that way, but here is how I shall preach. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Darkness was over the face of the deep, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. He is our creator God. And now, to fallen men and women and children, he is the new creator. Now Christ's salvation is the new creation. So that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed. Behold, the new has come. And listen to the way the Apostle Paul puts this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 through 6. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, lowercase g, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God who said, this is how Paul preached, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so the true Christian minister, and when you witness to your neighbors, this is true of you, the true Christian minister is called to say indiscriminately, the light shines. Come to the light. Come. Put your faith in Christ. Repent of your sins. Come. None is excluded but he who excludes himself. Come to the light. But I ask you, will they do it? Let me ask the question differently. When I preach in a cemetery, imagine that everyone before me was an unbeliever. That's not true, thank God, but imagine that it were true that everyone was an unbeliever, dead in trespasses and sins. When I preach in a cemetery and call out, come out of your grave, will they come? Only when the minister's call is accompanied by the sovereign voice of the Lord will they come, and when his voice accompanies, thank God they will come, and do come. So that Adolphe Monod, the French Reformed minister, was right when he said, a man who believes, a man who believes is more astounding than a new world formed by the hand of God. You here today, you believer, 
you're believing in Christ? This is more astounding than a new world formed by the hand of God. And for that one who by the sovereign grace of God believes, into whose heart the light has shone, for him the light will continue to shine. And it will draw you to that city that has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives its light and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it and its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. And he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand for nothing is hidden except to be made manifest nor is anything secret except to come to light if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Amen.